0: Speed two, HS2, Boris Johnson, it seems this week is going to give the thumbs up to at least phase one of HS2, which is frankly not the bit that goes to Leeds and Manchester. That's phase two. And the concern is already this morning that you end up with the worst of both worlds here. You end up with something that is still going to cost tens of billions of pounds, but doesn't actually do the bit. If there's any defence for HS2, it is that it improves connectivity, particularly to Leeds and Manchester. If it doesn't do that, then you really are left thinking, what is the point? I mean, the joke that's made about HS2, which is very unfair on one of my favourite places, very unfair on our second city of Birmingham. The joke is always, well, who needs to get to Birmingham 20 minutes faster? A train service that connects London to the second city more quickly than can currently be achieved is absolutely something worth Building that's absolutely something that is worth aiming for. The question is: Is it worth spending a hundred billion pounds on it for these relatively marginal um, increases in efficiency and speed? And if, if you still spend tens of billions of pounds on something which which only does that and doesn't achieve the the, the additional uh, connectivity to to Leeds and Manchester, the second part north of roughly Birmingham. Then you are left thinking, what on earth would be the point of this? 03456060973. You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email darren at lbc.co.uk. It's a ton of money. And you can pretty much guarantee that whatever the estimate is right now of HS2, phases one and two, and we've heard that could be over £100 billion, that'll probably go higher. Because I can remember, puts on sort of Grandpa Simpson voice here. I remember the days when we talked about this costing £30 billion or £55 billion. Now we're talking about it being over £100 billion to complete all of HS2. So my question to you this morning is, as it appears that Boris Johnson is going to support this, should HS2 go ahead? And if it does go ahead, does the entirety of the project need to be built? O three four five. You can text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Email Darren at lbc.co.uk. It's six minutes past two. Let's speak to Liam Halligan, Telegraph columnist, uh, who has a pretty strong view on this. Liam, thank you for your time this morning. It does now, look, doesn't it, like Johnson is going to support HS2? Well, the the
1: signs seem to be that he will support it. It's a bit of a vault fast. When he was campaigning to be Tory leader Boris Johnson gave some quite clear signals that he was anti-HS2 and we know that quite a lot of his close advisers are anti-HS2 but the Chancellor Sajid Javid has shown some signs of supporting this uh, high-speed super train from London to Birmingham and then on to Manchester and Leeds Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if now the Prime Minister did back it which I still think is a mistake.
0: Well we'll get to that in a minute but why do you think he has changed his mind? if he has?
1: I think there's an awful lot of vested interests involved, a lot of property developers, a lot of engi- engineering conglomerates. Uh, I think he may have been swayed by the argument that um, 6 or £7 billion pounds has already been spent on HS2, um, though a lot of that money could be recouped if the land was sold off. Um, I think there's also an argument from the Treasury that building H- HS2 will give the broader economy uh, a bit of a boost uh, again, that's not an argument that I particularly buy, but the Prime Minister in this case seems to have fallen for it.
0: Now, there's a suggestion tonight, Liam, I don't know whether you've heard this, but parts of the HS2 project will be reviewed. We're hearing that the sections to Manchester and Leeds will be reviewed if that's anything like true then that is very very dangerous territory indeed because you then risk losing those supporters in the north of england and those parts of the north of england who are currently on board
1: well i make dispatches documentaries for channel four and i made one this time last year february 2019 which warned this is exactly what would happen and if hs2 only goes from london to birmingham any notion that it's about ending the north-south divide and levelling up the country becomes a complete joke. In my documentary, I interviewed a guy called Professor Stephen Glaster, who's one of the government's most senior transport advisors, um, and he said it would be complete folly to build it just from London to Birmingham uh, and it would then be a great white elephant. Look, this whole project already has a very low cost-benefit ratio. It, we're already getting very little economic benefit given... That we could spend over 100 billion pounds and if you don't approve the bit from Birmingham to Manchester and then Birmingham to Leeds, the top of the Y if you like, mm. and it still hasn't got parliamentary approval, only London to Birmingham has got parliamentary approval, then those cost-benefit ratios become lower still. It would be, it would be madness to just build this ring from London to Birmingham and yet
0: that's the way the politics seems to be going now. The other curious thing about HS2 is that up until now, it seems to have had cross-party support. From those who support it, they have been across cross-party. We've had Conservative mayors and indeed we've had the Labour mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who has been in support of this. But yesterday, he said that a new Trans-Pennine railway line should be built before the Manchester section of the HS2 route. So, I mean, there's a change of tack there yesterday, what we've just said notwithstanding about where the route might or might not go. It does feel as if that coalition of support is is beginning to crumble.
1: There's been a broad coalition in support of HS2, as in cross-party, you're right, but it's always been quite a shallow coalition. There have always been an awful lot of MPs who don't support it because a lot of their constituents don't support it because their constituents know it won't help them. All a lot of people want is better commuter lines in and out of our cities whether it's London or Bristol or Manchester or Leeds or Newcastle or Glasgow or Edinburgh. These are the routes that most people use um, in terms of train users. Only seven percent of all train journeys every year uh, into city most train journeys are into cities by commuters and andy i've talked to andy burnham a lot over the years about hs2 and he's always been supportive of it but only if it goes on to manchester and leeds and he said in the past that if he had a choice between hs2 and a much better trans pennine route Mm. he would go for the much better trans pennine route and you know what most objective economists mm-hmm. would agree with him because if you link together the big northern cities there and you get much more bang for mm. your buck in terms of economic returns, it makes sense to link up uh, the, uh, the, the big northern cities as an alternative growth centre to, to London and the southeast. That's what the government should really do if it wants to spread regional prosperity, not this trophy asset, which is HS2.
0: And it's very odd, isn't it, that given there would appear to be, not least in those so-called red-wall seats in the north of England, there would appear to be, on balance, a political upside to, at this point, cancelling HS2, and Boris Johnson would certainly want to bank that benefit in those newly conservative seats, that he would appear to be going ahead with this.
1: Well, in my Sunday Telegraph column this weekend, I make exactly that point. HS2 doesn't really make economic sense, and even the National Audit Office... (laughs) Um, has uh, cast a dim eye over it, uh, and many, many independent economists as well. Even the Department of Transport's own numbers show a very low cost-benefit ratio to HS2. So the economics is pretty clear, but the politics is even more clear. Back in December, we had a complete political reconfiguration, and if the Tories want to hang on to those former Labour heartlands, up in the northeast, across the Midlands, um, in the northwest then they're going to do much better if what they do is pull money, uh, a lot less money, into quick wins across the rail network, freeing up that corridor between uh, the two big stations in Manchester, which causes delays right across the northwest uh, and across the Pennines and beyond. Um, better links into Birmingham, uh, making two track sections into four track sections. Across the whole network, there are many, many quick-win projects that you can do for, for low numbers of, of billions or even millions of pounds that can quickly make people's journeys, more people's journeys, much, much better and the system more efficient. And you can start to get returns from those quick-win projects before the next election. HS2, it will be with us you know, within 15 years at best. That's not going to help the Tories hang on to those northern uh, uh, seats. No.
0: I guess we will puzzle at length as to why Boris Johnson is burning off this political credit so quickly, or at least choosing not to bank this political credit quite so quickly. I mean, there, there, there is a difference, isn't there, between being able to do something, which he plainly can with that enormous majority, and it being the right thing to do.
1: It is strange. I mean, I don't think it will affect his um, position in, in, in Parliament. I mean, uh, there will be quite a few dozen Tory MPs who are really not hs2 is going ahead and let me say opposition to it goes way beyond those tory mps whose constituencies this train goes through even if the 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 line doesn't stop in their constituencies so it's all all disruption there are many many tory mps and many labor mps and indeed lib dems who don't want it it is a very small part of the country wants this opinion polls show uh Around 10% of people think HS2 is any good and it will go ahead. Uh, It should go ahead and it will improve their lives. This seems to me uh, uh, a decision driven by uh, kowtowing, I'm afraid to say, to property developers, the big engineering conglomerates, the massive vested interest that want HS2 to happen. We need some political courage here. Yes, we've spent seven billion quid already, but a lot of that money can be recouped if the land that's been bought is used for other uh, projects. And as every good poker player knows, you should never put good money after bad. We should be focusing on the small number of billions that we spent on HS2. We should be focusing on the hundred plus billion that we're about to spend mm. for a very, very low economic return.
0: And just briefly, elsewhere as it relates to railway policy, I suppose Jeremy Corbyn can take some solace after that election result from knowing that a very small part of the Labour manifesto has been implemented with the nationalisation of Northern Rail.
1: I wouldn't say nationalisation at this point. Northern Rail, of course, has lost the franchise and the so-called operator of last resort will take over the franchise. We don't know about the future of Northern Rail. Uh, but what I think about uh, that's interesting about that decision is that Northern Rail have had some success in skewing some of the blame over to Network Rail, who run the tracks, who run the infrastructure. And it's clear now that even though there has been more money going into the railways, uh, the use of the railways has been going so, up so much, very, very sharply over many years, particularly since rail privatisation in the mid-90s. And there's tremendous, there's tremendous benefit, political and economic benefit, to be reached by a government that invests more in rail infrastructure. As I say, that means investing in local commuterates, humdrum, low-key projects, uh, unblocking bottlenecks, uh, freeing up pinch points, rather than vanity projects. That's where the economic returns are, and that's where
0: too Liam, thank you. Liam Halligan, Telegraph, Telegraph columnist, joining me this morning here on LBC. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. And and that seems obvious, doesn't it? That actually, you're far better spending this huge sum of money on those really boring, unsexy but incredibly important projects—the ones that will provide much better railway connectivity between those cities, particularly in the north of England. It's not sexy. It is, as Liam said. A minute ago humdrum it it's not the kind of shiny some would say vanity project that ministers can point to and say, Gosh isn't this exciting and thrilling and enormous it it's It's not going to get those front pages it's not going to look good on glossy leaflets and magazines and pamphlets and literature, but it will fundamentally improve the lives of Millions of people in terms of how easily they can get around. 0345 is my number. Shouldn't we be spending the money that we're about to spend on HS2 on that instead? I think we probably should. If the cost of HS2 it turns out to be anything like £100 billion, I mean, you know, pick your project for that kind of money. You might want to do as Liam does and improve those those boring run-of-the-mill but incredibly important railway links. You might want to do as I would prefer, take the money and uh, and, and widen motorways and get some shiny new roads up and down across the country. Whatever you want to do, we we could probably, you and me together, we could probably find something better to do with that money than HS2, I suspect. And I, I feel that's what a lot of people are going to conclude, including, it seems, up to 60 Conservative MPs who might be offering up some opposition to Boris Johnson on this? Well, of course, they won't really offer opposition to Boris Johnson because they've all taken his loyalty pledge for the next five years. But this might be the first hint that not is all entirely unanimous on Boris Johnson's backbenches. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is my number. Boris Johnson, we think this week will give the green light to the first section of HS2. But uh, but he will hang fire on the second part, the bit that links up to Manchester and Leeds. Should HS2 go ahead? And if it does, do you think the entire project as it currently stands needs to be built? LBC, 18 minutes past two. This is LBC.
2: If you're an EU citizen living in the UK, you need to apply to the EU Settlement Scheme. This means you can continue living and working in the UK and that the rights you currently have will be protected including access to health care, benefits and pensions. You need to apply even if you have permanent residence. To find out more and apply, visit gov.uk slash EU Settlement Scheme. Irish citizens and those with valid indefinite leave don't need to apply. Dance, dine, and have the time of your life at Mamma Mia! The Party. Doors are now open to this brand new immersive experience that
3: puts you at the heart of the action. Enjoy a spectacular show, a four-course Mediterranean feast, and an ABBA disco to sing and dance the night away. Join the party at the O2 London. Find out more and book tickets at mammamirtheparty.co.uk.
4: Play along with our 10-second teaser. Ready? Which sector generates more revenue than movies, cruise ships, recorded music, theme parks and spectator sports combined? The answer is gambling. If you got that right, you must be pretty smart. So you'll know who to choose for your business accounting, audit and tax affairs search Barnes Roof. clever accountants for business
0: Darren Adam on LBC 03456060973 I suspect we will talk more about this later this week when Boris Johnson does make an announcement about the fate of HS2 but just on the off chance that Johnson is listening to LBC this morning he's probably as much of a fan of this program as I am of him so if uh, you know if, if he is listening Uh, What would you advise him to do? What would you tell Boris Johnson to do? Would you say, no, end this madness now, let's stop throwing good money after bad, we've already spent seven, eight billion pounds, there's a possibility of getting some of that back when we look at unpurchasing various assets, I suppose. But the fact that we've spent £7 billion, £8 billion already is not another reason, is not a good reason to spend another £100 billion on something which is not going to do the, the job anyway. If we assume that the job is to significantly uh, increase capacity on the railway network in a way that most people will be able to access. 0345 You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email Darren at lbc.co.uk. Lizzie in Wooster, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I hope you are too. What have you got for me? Thank you. Well, um, I founded the
5: anti-HS2 movement in 2010, so I am biased. Um, I think Boris should do what he's been promising his constituents in in Rislip for years and scrap it. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, Mm. And he doesn't have... Approval, the parliamentary approval is in place to be able to say he can go ahead. It has to go back to the Public Accounts Committee.
0: Yeah, yeah. It has
5: to go back to the Treasury.
0: Well, it might be around, it might be about signals at this point. It might be about Boris Johnson using the sort of bully Mm. pulpit to say this is something that he wants to happen. But but you can't be surprised that Boris Johnson is breaking a promise.
5: Oh, no, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I'm disappointed and um, I'm not surprised. Um, But it just proves that. He doesn't have the measure that he said he did have. That yeah. he would actually do what he said. Can you? But that's what all politicians do.
0: Can you <laughs> explain it, though, Lizzie? Because it is politically odd, and and this is what hmm. I was saying to Liam Halligan a few moments ago. We both concluded that actually, there's a political upside. And Boris Johnson is, is nothing if not someone who you know, considers the best interests of Boris Johnson. Arguably, his mm-hmm. best interests would be served by now saying, actually, HS2 isn't popular, let's not go ahead. So wh- why do you think, if these reports are true, wh- why do you think he is persisting with this?
5: It's the age-old um, age um, thing of following the money. Um, the money behind this scheme, £106 billion, is not the, the total figure when, once you start adding no. interest and in everything else. It's who's funding it. And, and who's behind that money? The, you know, the cost overruns, it's not just incompetence. It, it, you know, it, there is corruption. There are serious fraud office, um, inquiries going into to HS2, and it's absolutely bonkers. Um, I just think he's under too much pressure from money, from donors, etc., who all have the fingers in the pie. The public do not want HS2. None of the polls ever have said that the public want this. And at the moment, the budget that's been approved by Parliament is only fifty-six billion. Is you it, can't just suddenly approve one hundred
0: and six no, himself. Is, is it true that, that people right across the country don't want this? The reason I ask this, Lizzie, is that really? I was up in up seeing, seeing friends in Birmingham a couple of weekends ago, mm, uh, mm. speaking to a friend of mine who is who is I think it is fair to say not exactly a supporter of Boris Johnson. Right, so you right. Know, he's, he's he's not he's not on on Team Johnson. It is fair to say, mm. uh, and yet he says that the. The support for HS2 in Birmingham is enormously under-reported. It's, it is, as far as he can see, a much more popular idea than is, than is ever popularly suggested or reported. Are we perhaps at risk of, of, of ignoring a, a silent, if not majority, but certainly a, a sizable and silent number of people who actually do want this to go ahead?
5: I totally disagree. I, I work in Birmingham he's he's talking from the feudal centre, the gold-lined streets of Birmingham, where, of course, they do want it because it's all about business. It's all about the airport. Every Mori poll ever that's been carried out on high-speed rail or HS2 has said that the public don't want it. Every poll the newspapers do says the public don't want it. The only people that want it are the business people who are, have a vested interest in the airport. They've spent £400 million on PR for HS2 and it's still a PR disaster. And on the other side, people like me have not had a penny. We Mm. do this out of our passion for the country and the environment.
0: So HS2 um, is, it, it attempts I think, doesn't it, at least to be an answer to a question, which is, crudely, what are we going to do about our railways? They aren't very good and there aren't enough of them. So it's one possible answer to that. Plainly, you don't think it's a very good answer. What would be a better answer? How would you rather spend that money?
5: Oh, upgrade for all. Benefit everyone. Upgrade the existing network for everybody, sustainably, and give everyone fibre. But the HS2 project was never devised to address capacity. It was devised to serve the airport, to serve Heathrow. It's got yeah. nothing to do with capacity.
0: Well, I know, I know that, 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 that case, the, the capacity argument has been rather retrofitted, hasn't it?
5: It has, absolutely. At first, it's all about speed and the time savings between Birmingham and London. And they just keep doing that. They just keep fudging the figures to try and support this absolutely catastrophic economic case. It was already amber red at, at 56 billion. On the Treasury traffic light system, if it's red, it should not get approval. And it is red. And half of the costs aren't included. Tony Barclay resigned from the Okazee um, inquiry because he was so disgusted at the lack of integrity and transparency in what was happening. It's it's absolutely outrageous. Do you think
0: think there's any possibility then of, of the Conservative Party in Parliament offering any kind of opposition to this? Because yes, there might be 60 Conservative mm. MPs who've expressed uh, doubts about this or indeed they've gone further and said they don't want HS2 but this does not feel like a Conservative party that's in a mood to rebel against Boris Johnson?
5: Unfortunately, there are several types of politicians and all of them have their own interests. Normally, at heart, at the polit- political ambition, is it going to be politically... Um, beneficial for me to support this project or oppose it. And when you have WIPs saying you have to support it, what are they going to do? And then a lot of these um, people are involved in the industry, um, maybe not directly, but indirectly, and with the donors. It's it's, it's, Again, it's follow the money. Follow the money. And it's our money. Every single penny of the project is debt. It is a payday loan that we can't afford to pay. We're going to have to borrow this money Probably from China. They already have the deal set up with Cameron years ago. They're going to provide the money. They're going to provide the steel. They're already providing workers and the technology. And then they're going to buy it at a loss after the taxpayers subsidise the whole thing. So
0: you think think it's going to, by the signs of it, go ahead anyway then. Because you talked about the Public Accounts Committee Um, and the scrutiny that you feel Boris Johnson is perhaps either avoiding or has not yet had as a consequence. You know, I, I think that if 60 Conservative MPs don't provide effective opposition to this, and I'm not really sure the Public Accounts Committee is going to do that either, are they?
5: Well, I've just found out the Public Accounts Committee chair is chairing a high-speed rail conference, so I, I doubt it. Um, the, the thing is, people like me, who've grown up in this country and love it, we still believe in truth and justice and democracy. Um, yeah. And every day, more of that gets chiselled away from us.
0: Lizzie, thank you. Hope you're wrong about that, but I fear you're right. Hope, I suspect you hope you're wrong as well. Lizzie in Worcester, thank you. 03456060973. John's in Wolverhampton. Hi, John. Good evening. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, uh, John.
6: I've got an idea. How about we throw a curveball? Being as everybody loves them so much, why don't we have a referendum on it?
0: (laughs) No. People seem to want a second vote on everything else. Why don't we have a one on this? We haven't had a a first one on this, have we? So, uh, I mean, I, I suppose what you could say... Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think back to what the Conservative Manifesto said about HS2.
6: Very little. It was all conceptual, I think, Darren. I think the thing is about this, as you mentioned earlier on, was it Liam earlier on? I think politically, politi- being politically expedient for Boris, yeah. he is, he's going to score an own goal if he goes from London up to Birmingham, even if he does get the, the nod from the Public Accounts Committee. He needs to go Leeds-Manchester or do a Northern Loop, call it HS3, mm. call it a Northern Loop, include Sheffield in the loop, go round in a circle around all of the big towns, get from the East Coast to the West Coast for economic reasons, say Hull or Norwich, get a line around into the main circle. Then you can have tributary tracks running from, you know, across that in, in and out of the big, and then at some point in the future, link, say, Birmingham to Sheffield and connect the two, and then have a stretch that goes up to, you know, Aberdeen and Edinburgh. And as you and I have talked on several occasions, the United Republic of Great Britain, remember that's our yes, big plan. It is. That is really then kissing, you know, saying kissing cousins to all of us to say look well, you're all important in this mm. economic bubble this so-called mm. Brexit boom let's see, let's put your money in the is. Well, I, I love it I
0: think infrastructure is great. I take a kind of Keynesian view of this which is that if you if you spend money constructing big uh, construction projects infrastructure projects then all kinds of people yeah. are then employed and it creates work and that's all really important. That's not yeah. in, in and of itself a good reason to do to, to, to do a bad project you can apply that principle to good projects I've just had a look by the way at the Conservative manifesto, and I've done. uh, I've done a quick search on this. HS two appears. How many times do you think, John, in the Conservative manifesto? Ooh, once. It is once. Here's the (laughs) paragraph. And it here's the paragraph in its entirety. HS two is a great ambition. It will now cost, but it will now cost at least eighty one billion pounds. And will not reach Leeds or Manchester till as late as 2040. We will consider the findings of the Oakavy review into costs and timings, and work with leaders of the Midlands and the North to decide the optimal optimal outcome. Now, do you think that if mm. Boris Johnson does say yes to to the first phase, no to the second phase, do you think that's compliant with that manifesto commitment?
6: Not really, no. I think the Red Wall will collapse. He'll lose it next time. It'll only last five years. And then will all go against him, won't they, in 2025, whenever the next election is. I think yeah. that people will say, you, you betrayed us. We put our trust in you up in the north and the Midlands and Wales, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, what about Wales? I mean, Wales is an increase, isn't included, they? mate. They're suffering, as well. and so is East Anglia. And, you know, well, Wales you know,
0: doesn't all... even have a decent road from no. one end to the other. Exactly. You've got to use the M6 so, I mean, and the M5 to it yeah. so from one bit so, to the other he's two. hiring these people like Dominic Cummings et al then they
6: need to be thinking more holistically about what is Britain 2020 you know it's not if, if Brexit was anything it was the north and the, the rest of the, the provinces the region saying we are still here we want some of the action and yeah. currently as on paper HS2 is a it's a sort of a, a population density co- coverage map for those who want to commute back into London I mean I want think it's London per se but it just seems to be that has been yeah. the whole point of this metropolitany in London taking a good kicking from the north and the regions and if he's going to, he could really score big time if he said, stuff it right, let's go. But I think Manchester
0: anyone state. could, I think it's really, really odd that Boris Johnson is is as we understand, going to proceed with this and on this basis because it doesn't even serve his interests and, and, and they are they are paramount if, if you're Boris Johnson Johnson, Wolverhampton, John thank you, 03456060973 more on this in just a few minutes but I think we're also going to touch on a we're talking a lot about elections here, but another election that's just happened in Ireland. Hugh O'Connell is the political correspondent for the Irish Independent. I spoke to him just before we came on air. You can hear that conversation in just a moment. It's LBC
7: Newstime 2.31. Here's Andy Ivey. Rail engineers are clearing lines overnight after storm Kira brought gales and driving rain to the UK. Wind speeds reached more than 90 miles an hour. It brought down trees and caused flooding. Some homes in Bury in Greater Manchester were evacuated after the River Irwell burst its banks. There were power cuts and cancelled flights too. The 92nd Academy Awards are taking place in Los Angeles. Laura Dern has won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Marriage Story. Brad Pitt was presented with the statuette for Best Supporting Actor. LBC weather turning colder with wintry showers in the north, scattered showers in the south, a low of one Celsius, later very windy again with sunny intervals and scattered showers which could be wintry over the hills, a high of 10 degrees.
4: This is LBC.
3: At the bank of Antandek, they've created Stan, a smart bot that can predict the future of remortgaging.
8: I read Stan, will my mortgage rate go up?
9: 1955 was the last time
6: Newcastle won the cup.
8: No, try not to mumble.
6: Playing. let's get ready to rumble.
3: Meanwhile at Santander, they can't predict your future, but they'll help secure it with great mortgage rates fixed for up to 10 years. See what's possible at Santander.
10: Early repayment charges apply. Lending subject to status and criteria. Your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on your mortgage looking for your perfect kitchen visit roomsense.co.uk
11: quality at a price you can afford that's RoomSense.
2: look at that a riveting quest a glorious opportunity a scratch card yet he remains unfazed
3: by the challenge wavering at nothing
6: <clears throat> miss please keep it down we're in the quiet area
3: sorry here we are the moment of truth as he reaches instant excitement with scratch cards from the national lottery your numbers make amazing happen search dream big play small rules and procedures apply players must be 16 or over
11: every day someone dies waiting for a transplant from spring 2020 the law around organ donation in england is changing to allow more people to pass on more organs to save more lives unless you choose to opt out Or in an excluded group, all adults will be considered as a possible organ donor when they die. Whatever your choice, make it clear to your family and closest friends to ensure your decision is honoured. To find out more, or for the choice to opt out, visit organdonation.nhs.uk. Pass it on.
0: Darren Adam on LBC. On HS2, Nigel in Chelmsford tweeting, actually texting, I should say, 84850, to say, HS2, when? Most important issue is when will it be finished? It's too late, it's out of date, and that is enough to cancel it, even if it were cheap, says Nigel in Chelmsford. Boris Johnson, it seems this week will give the green light to at least stage one. Of high speed rail. Two, is it a uh, project that you think should proceed? 03456060973. Let us turn briefly to what's been happening in the Republic of Ireland, though, where a general election has taken place. The president of Sinn Féin is Mary Lou MacDonald, and she has described the election as something of a revolution in the ballot box. Why is that? Well, as things stand, Sinn Féin are the winner. Of most first preference votes, they have topped the poll. It's never happened before in an Irish general election. And before we came on air, I spoke to Hugh O'Connell, who's the political correspondent for the Irish Independent, while he was at the Dublin city count in the Irish capital. I asked him just how surprising were these results so far in the Irish general election?
9: Well, the, the landscape of Irish politics has, has been changed utterly by this election, where we have seen the emergence of a third political force in Ireland, uh, Sinn Féin, which has disrupted the duopoly which has existed for most of the existence of the state, where Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have swapped power over the last nearly 100 years. Um, but Sinn Féin has now emerged with uh, significant support. It is the most popular party in Ireland on the popular vote, They only ran 42 candidates Hmm. versus the other two parties who ran double that amount, which means that they won't deliver uh, the number of seats, perhaps, that they would have done had they run sufficient numbers of candidates to be the largest party. But Sinn Féin has certainly become a major player now in Irish politics with uh, anything, I would think, between 30 and... 30. Sorry, excuse me, anything, I think, between 35 and 40 seats in this election. It's an astonishing result... And it creates uh, a lot of uncertainty as to which party uh, or which parties will make up the next government.
0: If they get that number, that means that almost all of their candidates have been elected. 42 candidates being run, as you said. The majority, the the number needed for a majority in the Doyle is 80. As an outside observer on this, and I was uh, listening to a bit of Irish radio as I drove down from Edinburgh uh, yesterday, What really strikes me, Hugh, is that Sinn Féin must be absolutely kicking themselves that they only ran 42 candidates because they do not have enough people to represent the the vote share that they appear to have won.
9: Yeah, they, they are. It's, it's their one big regret in this election that they did not run sufficient numbers of candidates to capitalize on the, the huge surge in support. I mean, what, what they, we've had this astonishing situation today under our unique proportional representation single mm. transferable vote system, where Sinn Féin candidates have topped the poll and have large surpluses, which cannot be distributed to other Sinn Féin candidates, but rather they're being distributed to other candidates on the left. Uh, and, all, and to other parties as well, including to the, the two major parties, or the two historically major parties, Fianna Fáil and, and Fine Gael. So um, it leaves us in a situation, you know, as described there, mm, where mm. Sinn Féin will come back with anything between 35 and 40 seats, but then Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael will also come back within the region of that amount as well, yeah. um, maybe, maybe slightly more. But it, it leaves three parties with roughly 35 to 40 seats each, and with Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil having, before this election, firmly ruled out going into government with Sinn Féin, uh, it creates a difficult situation as to how we might form a government. But um, this evening, uh, in a, one of the most significant develops, developments since the uh, ballot boxes were opened and the votes counted today, the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin, has opened the door somewhat to a possible deal with Sinn Féin and and so have a number of people within his party. There are still major uh, policy and ideological differences perhaps But I think that the words of Neil Martin, receiving as a Fianna Fáil leader, were that he would respect the 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 results of the vote, and obviously creates a new dynamic in Irish politics now, which all parties are going to have to grapple with in the in the coming weeks.
0: Well, roughly every four or five years, someone explains quotas and surpluses to me, and I I get it at the time, and then and then I forget (laughs) again for another few years. We'll come back to that in a minute. But you talked about Fianna Fianna Fáil, both until yesterday, ruling out going into government with Sinn Féin. Excuse my ignorance here, but is there any possibility that Fianna Gael and Fianna Foyle would, would form a coalition together to prevent Sinn Féin from entering government?
9: That is entirely possible. The, the, the issue is that they might combine not have sufficient numbers to get to the, the magic number of 80 that you mentioned earlier. Um, there's also obviously these two parties, are, they're known as the Civil War parties because they were parties that were set up in the uh, in the midst of the Civil War and they were on, and the members of them were on the opposing side. You'll so have to excuse that noise in the background there. There's a a late count declaration here in Dublin. But essentially, um, those two parties have, have been at loggerheads for nearly 100 years, but they have cooperated for the last four years, where a Fina Gael minority government has been facilitated by um, Fianna Fáil in a so called confidence and supply agreement, which uh, your listeners might be familiar with. Uh, the BP yes, did something yes. similar with the Conservative Party, where you're not in government with the, co- with, with the, uh, with the government party, but you're kind of supporting them in mm. parliamentary votes and whatnot. So, um, the situation, uh, of, of that having been the situation for the last four years, there's now growing talk of a possible uh, so-called grand coalition between the two parties, but the problem for Fianna Fáil is that they, they can, campaigned on a, on a mandate of, of delivering change, mm-hmm. and this idea that, that they would get Fianna Fáil out of government after nearly a decade in power, so to then turn around and go with the government with Fianna Fáil might be a bit of a problem for many of their supporters, but... Ultimately, uh, the politics, no matter where it is in the world, is, a, is a number is game. Yeah. So, ultimately, it, it, it may come down to that. And it's certainly one of the possibilities uh, in terms of forming the next government a, a grand coalition, or some sort of arrangement between Fine Gael and, and Fianna fail to, as you say, keep Sinn Féin out of power. Sure.
0: And if you are a Sinn Féin voter, I imagine that you're your other preferences, your your surpluses, if I've got this right, they would not be going to Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil. they would go to maybe the Greens, maybe the other smaller left-wing parties. So those surplus votes that you talk about, that Sinn Féin can't use because they don't have enough candidates, unlikely to go to Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil.
9: Um, well, what we've seen today is they're actually going all over the place, really, but in, in certain constituencies, for sure, they have bolstered uh, left-wing candidates. So, you know, not so much even the Green Party or, or the Labour Party here, but more the kind of uh, radical left, the you know, uh, socialist, communist parties, um, who have ha- had, a, had a number of, of uh, MPs in, in the outgoing um, Parliament. It's uh, all uh, six, in fact, in total, and some of them are actually getting re-elected off the back of transfers from from Sinn Féin candidates off the back of these transfers from, from the large surpluses that Sinn Féin candidates have. So that's all going to play out over the next few days. It's, it's, you know, the, the quirk of our electoral system is it, it, it can take up to two to three days to, to finalise all the seats in the parliament. So we won't have a, a clear picture of the numbers for each political party until sometime later on tomorrow or possibly into Tuesday.
0: And just a couple of final questions If if this does end up in another election If it turns out that a government cannot be formed and, and the country goes to the polls once again I imagine firstly that Sinn Féin will not repeat What they doubtless consider their mistake They'll be running candidates everywhere, right?
9: Yes, and um, they'll be running several candidates in certain constituencies in order to get uh, a couple couple of them elected. We have multi, uh, multi-seat multi constituencies here. Mm. So they, they, you're right, in, indeed, they will definitely not be making the mistake that they, they made in this election. And, I mean, they made it in this election at a time when this surge in, in support was unforeseen by many in the party. They'd had a series of, of electoral setbacks in recent months. Um, both in, in the north, uh, in, in your own uh, House of Commons election in December, Sinn Féin's vote share fell in every constituency mm. by mm. one, uh, although they got seven abstentionist MPs elected. Um, and in the local and European elections here in Ireland last May, May 2019, um, they got a lot. They lost dozens of local authority seats. They lost two of their four MEPs. So um, they you know went into this election with the... Uh, view that they would be, need to just hold on to the twenty two seats that they, they had uh, when in fact they're they're coming back now and, and they, they could have got more than double that if they'd run sufficient numbers of candidates. But but they'll do pretty well and, and their leader very Lou Macdonald is uh, someone who stepped into the breach uh, when Jerry Adams retired two years ago. She's a very, uh, she, she's a woman, she's uh, considered very modern and progressive, she carries none of the, uh, I suppose, baggage that Gerry Adams uh, carried, given mm-hmm. his, um, you know, his long and, and storied history, which your, your listeners may be, may be familiar with, um, and she has managed to, I suppose, project the party as one promising change and one promising solution to some of the most retractable crises in this country in, in housing and homelessness and and health. And she this evening was talking about the possibility of trying to form a, a left-wing government. Now, mm. so, um, that that seems ambitious in the circumstances, but certainly it's something she's going to look at in the coming days because she has campaigned on a on a promise of change, um, and she wants to get the two big parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, out of government. Yeah. Uh, but she may not have the numbers ultimately to do that and to what? become prime minister. Uh, I mean, it would be historic yeah. if she did. Uh, she would be a Sinn Féin prime minister. She would be the first female prime minister in this country. Um, and it would be a, a radical departure from the politics that we've known here on this island for for the last sure. hundred years.
0: And that is quite an ambition, as you suggest, from, from where she currently finds herself. Leo Varadkar is the Taoiseach. What's your sense of how this plays out, Hugh? Just on that one question of Leo Varadkar, do you think he has a reasonable chance of remaining as Taoiseach?
9: I don't. I think that it, purely on the basis of the, of the numbers that he has, I think it's likely he's going to have to lead his party into opposition, Um and I think, to be honest, that, that might suit a lot of people in, in his Fine Gael party who have grown weary of government over the last 10 years. Obviously, they're you know they're still ambitious and they would still like to hold power, but they may see this as a situation where it'd be best if they if they sit it out. It's not beyond the realms of possibility uh, that they will um, uh, that that they will. Uh, be in power Mm. after this election, but
0: but I think it unlikely at this point in time. That's uh, Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent for the Irish Independent. I spoke to Hugh just before we came on air. He was at uh, the Dublin city counts in the Irish capital, at a count where all of the uh, the, the Dublin uh, constituencies were being counted. Um, Leo Varadkar, by the way, and it is a proportional system and one which I only understand for about 20 minutes every four years, Uh, Leo Varadkar, the Irish Taoiseach, was elected in his constituency, but on the fifth count. Um, So just just imagine that happening in, say, Uxbridge to Boris Johnson. You can't draw a direct parallel, but if you could, it would be an astonishing thing. Um, Talking of Boris Johnson, he is the British Prime Minister at time of going to press, and this week he will give the green light, we understand, to the first section of HS2 high-speed rail... Despite concerns about the cost and despite the opposition of as many as sixty Conservative MPs, but he may well not give the final OK to Stage Two of HS2, which is the bit that connects up to Manchester and Leeds. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. Should HS2 go ahead? Are you surprised that Boris Johnson is likely to approve it at all? And if it does get built, should the whole thing be built? LBC two forty six.
4: Nick Ferrari at breakfast, weekday mornings from seven. The youth who planned an attack a year before throwing that boy off the tape. Sam Greenhill, who joins me now. Jaunty one
11: day just mentioned this plan that was in his head. He asked Jaunty to repeat it in front of another carer, and then he recorded him saying it. The carer told me, when you take over looking after this boy, the first thing you're told is you must never say no to him. Nick Ferrari at breakfast.
10: With zero. get your business digital ready with zero accounting software. LBC. London's air pollution affects every borough and everyone's health, especially children. The main cause? Road transport. The Mayor and TfL are working to clean up London's buses and taxis, but there are things we can all do as well. By swapping just one car trip every week for walking, cycling or public transport, we can help make London's air cleaner together for everyone. See how the Mayor and TfL are working towards cleaner air. Sign up to do your bit and swap that trip at lbc.co.uk. quality
3: affordable kitchens designed in your own home that's room sense that's room sense book your free room sense home design visit and we'll measure up show you samples create a stunning kitchen design and give you a
10: quote all before we leave
11: quality at a price you can afford that's room sense
10: Book today at roomsense.co.uk.
4: We're Ola, the global ride hailing app just launched in London. If you're a driver, we have three exciting plans to choose from. With the Ola Flex plan, you enjoy 0% commission until the 22nd of March, 2020, and a 500 pound minimum weekly ride fare guarantee. Log on to oladrive.uk slash drivers to get yourself Ola ready today. T's and C's apply. Drive the change. Ola. This is LBC with Darren Adam. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850.
0: It's not the last time we'll say HS2, I suspect. It's not even the last time we'll say HS2 this week because when Boris Johnson does make a decision on this or at least decide what he's going to say about HS2 and we understand it's going to be that he's going to support the first, if not the second stage of HS2, we'll probably have a conversation about whether he's made the right decision. As of things as things stand right now, though, in the uh, vanishingly unlikely circumstances that uh, Boris Johnson is listening to LBC right now. What would you advise him to do? 0345 6060 Should he say no, enough? We've lost 8 billion. We can't afford to lose another 100 billion. Johnny at Shooters Hill. Morning, Johnny. Morning, Darren. Hello. What do you think?
11: Um, I just think HS2 is just part of a sick-in-the-head society. we are um, we're being forced to live in, unfortunately. Um, ba- based on the previous projects, HS2 if it does finally go ahead, the total completion figure is going to be around at least £130 billion. That is an absolute massive amount of money. When we live in a society where a FOI report a couple of weeks ago came out mm-hmm. and said that if you call an ambulance, a lot of people who are calling ambulances where there's been a heart attack or stroke, it's taking around 45 to 50 minutes yeah. to get an ambulance to that patient. Um, in about six hours' time, we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of school teachers, if not thousands, taking food in to school for their pupils because they know that so many of their pupils yeah. are not going to have had breakfast by the time they got to school so in, to enable them to concentrate in a classroom, the teachers are dipping into their own pockets to provide food for those pupils. I think it's just you know D- disgusting when, you know, we, we're considering... And
0: that absolutely spending, is disgusting. But do, do you yeah. think that if we didn't do HS2... Because this doesn't feel to me like a government that would say, OK, we're not going to spend the money on HS2, let's spend yeah. it on all the excellent things that Johnny has just outlined. It doesn't feel to me as if those would be the priorities either.
11: Well, let, let me just tell you, a senior researcher, Darren, yeah. um, about 12 years ago, when this kind of concerta- consultation was going through, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but just roughly, the Daily Telegraph put reporters on the trains going out of Houston on that line the whole week, and predominantly the people using those trains, Monday, Friday are business people, they sat down with those people and they said, right what is this extra tw- 20 minutes half an hour going to do to your life and there wasn't a single business person who said that was in favour of HS2. They said, "Look, you know, we, we get on the train, we plug in our laptop, we work on a train, we drink a cup of coffee. It's nice and comfortable. We're fine with it. All mm-hmm. it would mean if we got there 20 minutes, half an hour earlier, yeah. we're just going to go to a hotel, plug in our computers, and carry on they working." Do the
9: work there. So th-
0: yeah.
11: But, you know, that was a daily telegraph report. Um, I, I I think with a lot of projects, as this one, there was um, without n- naming names of contractors. I think there was a hell of a lot of brand envelopes flying around in the uh, initial stages to kind well, of get it's this going. Well, it's
0: such a staggering sum of money, and the budget has has absolutely rocketed up over the years. You, you talked What was the figure you had? Your estimate of what this might ultimately cost?
11: But based on other, you know, obviously, like you know, we've got cross rail and yeah. how much that's costing compared to the re- initial. And, and
0: that figure it, was what one.
11: It was the the, the, the minimum is going to cost based yeah. on other. Projects is 130 billion pounds, well, which is the,
0: absolutely staggering. The Stop HS2 campaign disagree with you on that. Stop HS2 say uh, to get it to work properly, and they've they've done the sums here. You can find them at stophs2.org. Yeah. They say not 130, but 237 billion pounds is their yeah. estimate. And as I say, if you want to if you want to check that with them or contest it, stophs2.org. But that campaign thinks that the total effective cost of this would be what well, it's the best part of a quarter of a trillion pounds uh johnny thank you derek is in petworth in sussex hello derek
12: hello good morning it's good it's good to talk to you
0: you too sir um
12: hs 2 my view is that we're a small island do we yes. really need trains rushing about at 200 miles an hour just to save 20 minutes from London to Birmingham. Um, I think it's crazy. This 100 billion is going to turn into 200 billion, no doubt, one day. This money could go into making our train network just mm. Mm. the best we've got. That's what we want, is to get the made to be efficiently on time. This, it's a joke at the moment. I mean, um, that money could go into making our roads better as well. Yes, and yes. And I, yes, yes. I feel that, that Boris... Johnson, he has these mad ideas about sort of runways in the Terms And, and in fact, I think the bridge from um, uh, England to Ireland is a really good one. But I mean, I just feel this is going to be a catastrophe for,
0: yeah. for him. Well, the, the it, problem with the bridge, well, the, Boris has an issue with bridges, of course, doesn't he? Boris Johnson <laughs> has an issue with bridges in that he can spend yeah. tens of millions of pounds and they, they never materialise. The bridge between, between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, yes. it, it's fine until you ask an expert. Uh, yes. who then says actually know. no topographically and physically this is not something that, that could be done but, that,
12: but that's only running at 20 billion at the moment <laughs> which is what hs2 started at but my, yes, it did. my feeling yeah. is we've got the network we are all miserable with it and ooh, that money could just make us have the best rail network in the country and um You know, surely that is common sense, maybe
0: not. Well, no, I think you're right, and I think you're right as well to talk about other things that could be done, not just making the, you know, the, the sort of boring but important parts of local railways much better, but yes, spend a chunk of it on roads as well. I know that is not desperately fashionable these days, but I suspect spending more money on roads is something, despite that lack of fashionability, is something that very many people would like to see happen. Derek, thank you for that. in Petworth and Plymouth, it's Mark on LBC. Morning, Mark.
6: Oh, good morning. Hi. Um, Hi. I was just thinking with HS2. I, I can't
1: find any hard data in terms of capacity. I spoke to an MP on the local radio station and he couldn't answer it. He was in yeah. support of it. And I, how many extra passengers will it take? And mm. I think your previous yeah, yeah. call are spot on, really. I think it's a, a vanity project, and I think, I think brown envelopes. I don't know, obviously, but I think brown envelopes well, have got something to do with it. And um,
8: S- I, sometimes, I just, I, sometimes
0: it's not conspiracy; it is cock up. And sometimes these projects run massively, massively over budget simply because mm. they have been incompetently accounted in the first place. Can anyone answer the capacity issue about how many I, I extra can't. people it will take? I can't. I can't find anybody. I can't find any data no. anywhere. Well, that's because, as we partly, I guess, because this capacity issue has been retrofitted. This argument's been retrofitted into the the you know the reasoning behind having HS2. It was never part of the original justification for this project. So that's that's maybe why the figures are hard to find because they've <laughs> they've been added on at the at the last minute but it's a good question mark thank you in plymouth 03456060973 and yes you increase the capacity but you 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 put i suspect a very great deal of that new capacity out of reach of people because it's going to be incredibly expensive a system that costs 106 billion pounds is anyone seriously suggesting that tickets for this new service are going to be cheaper than the current train prices i don't think so fred's in brixton hi fred Uh, Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning. First time caller to you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you.
13: I wonder how many politicians, if there are any listening to your programme and myself speak tonight.
0: What would you say Uh, to them if they are?
13: um, Scrap the HS2. Because it doesn't make sense. I remember in the 1960s, -hmm. mid-1960s, when I was a teenager, Yes. Um, I remember uh, a, cha- a Labour um, transport minister. His name Shelling or something like
0: that. Shelley. It, yeah. Okay. The yeah. The, min- the minister. Well, the, the it was beaching of course. The beaching report decided that the judge that getting getting rid apologize. of those those lines was the right thing I to do. I do apologise. Beeching, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. I think it was Barbara Castle was the transport. Anyway, yes, yes. Go on. Yeah.
13: Now. How long does it take to get to Birmingham, at present? Presently,
0: depends where you start. From from London, you mean?
13: (laughs) From London, yeah, from London.
0: Uh, Yeah. I I don't know. I must admit, because the last time I went to Birmingham, as I tend to do, I I I drove. I drove up the up the M forty, M forty two. It took me about two hours. Okay. So the train's about uh, the same, says producer Connor. About two hours.
13: Yeah, but I'm wondering how much shorter will it be if they go to with HS two. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. Oh,
0: yeah. that's, that's the right. saving. <laughs> is that is that worth it for you? Twenty minutes faster. Would you would you justify spending all that money for for a twenty minutes? No, minute I piece? wouldn't. No. Only
13: contrary to that, only if it goes further, even as far as to, to Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. You know, and um, the, this government presently listen and adhere to the, the, the
0: people. Well, and that's the funny thing, Fred, because the consensus would appear to be that more people than not don't want this. So actually Boris Johnson would be playing to his, his base, I guess his new base, in those red wall seats, if he were to say we're not going to spend this money on HS2. But it looks like he's going to, or at least indicate that that's what he wants to happen or at least indicate that he wants the first bit to be built. And I think that's even worse in a way. That's the worst of both worlds. Because, you you know, building the first stage, stage one of HS2, is still going to cost tens of billions of pounds. But if all it does is decrease journey times between, between the capital and the second city, which is, you know, not an ignoble um, ambition, but if the only thing you get for your tens of billions of pounds is a slightly faster journey between Birmingham and London, that, that doesn't really achieve... ...enough for that huge sum of money. So you end up really displeasing a lot of people, I suspect. Thermal Nuclear Penguin says, Yes, this should be supported. I'm from up north, says Thermal Nuclear Penguin, says he or she. It's not about shaving 15 minutes off the travel time to London. It's a statement to the world that the UK as a whole is ready for business, not just London. Share the wealth and power, not centralise it. I think everybody would agree with that, Thermal Nuclear Penguin... But many people would take issue with the idea that the best way to do it is to spend £106 billion on this particular project. Listen, it's not the last time we're going to say HS or 2. On your radio,
4: on Global Player, and...
3: Play LBC.
4: Leading Britain's conversation, this is LBC.
7: From Global's newsroom, at 3 o'clock, Commuters are being warned there could be further travel problems this morning in the wake of Storm Kira. It caused flooding yesterday and gales damaged buildings, brought down trees and left debris across road and rail lines. Travel writer Simon Calder has told LBC engineers, particularly in northwest England, have been working through the night
1: railway staff are going to be clearing lines of everything from trampolines to trees and crucially airlines are going to be struggling to get their planes their pilots their passengers back where they need to be we
7: have seen over a thousand flight cancellations to and from uh, uk airports The Met Office has yellow warnings for strong winds along the south coast and over Scotland. Forecaster Simon Partridge has told LBC parts of the country now face a blast of winter. Widespread showers across the UK for the next couple of days. Still strong winds. Still see winds up to
2: 50 to 60 miles an hour. Um, But with those showers, we're going to see a lot of hill snow, particularly across Scotland, Northern Ireland, and northwest England.
7: EasyJet says the coronavirus carrier, who's now in St Thomas's Hospital in London, took one of their flights from Geneva to Gatwick. Public Health England is contacting all passengers who were seated in the vicinity of the customer on the flight. All of the crew have also been advised to monitor themselves for 14 days since the flight in line with advice. Sinn Féin president insists Ireland is no longer a two-party system and that people want a different type of government. The general election in Ireland saw Mary Lou Macdonald's party get a virtual tie with the other two main parties. The Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, says it could be weeks or months before a new government is formed, but he still doesn't think he'll go into partnership with Sinn Féin.
8: You know, you have to have the same, roughly the same views around courts in the criminal justice system, around how the economy and society should be run, and also how democracy should function. And that's what makes uh, my party, Finnegale,
7: uh, not compatible with Sinn Féin. But we are willing to talk to other parties. The government has announced plans for up to 10 new free ports across the country. Ministers claim the new business and enterprise hubs will create thousands of jobs. Brad Pitt has won his first acting Oscar. He collected the Best Supporting Actor prize for playing a stuntman in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Laura Dern was named Best Supporting Actress for Marriage Story. The Oscar for Original Screenplay has gone to Parasite, while Roger Deakins has won the Oscar for Cinematography for 1917. LBC weather turning colder with wintry showers in the north, scattered showers in the south, a low of 1 Celsius. Later, very windy again with sunny intervals and scattered showers, which could be wintry over hills, a high of 10 degrees. From Global's newsroom for LBC, I'm Andy Ivey.
4: This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation with
11: Darren Adam.
0: Yes, and more on the Oscars with LBC Showbiz correspondent Charlie Girling a little bit later on in this hour for the latest on the Oscars for 2020. They are unfolding in Los Angeles. LBC's Charlie Girling is in London. And uh, we shall speak to her very, very soon uh, this morning. For the... Well, we're, we weren't going to pretend that she was there, were we? Were we? She would just claim expenses, you know, if we pretended. You know she would. I'll speak to Charlie later. Right. Uh, we'll also bring you a little bit more on the effects of Storm Kira yesterday on aviation. Lots of planes did not make it into the skies, consequence of those storm conditions. Paul Charles is an aviation analyst from the PC Agency and he'll join me in uh, a few minutes' time for that as well. But at uh, four minutes past three on LBC, leading Britain's conversation, what a changed direction because the TUC are demanding government action over sexual harassment at work. They say cases of sexual harassment remain alarmingly high, even though people are now more open about the issue. They've done research suggesting that most people think that the so-called Me Too movement has allowed them to be more open about sexual harassment, particularly among young women, uh, young people and women. The TUC calling on the government to introduce a legal duty on employers to actively prevent sexual harassment at work. Now... This, this could be fascinating, this conversation. I want to preface this by saying, in all seriousness, I've never had experience of sexual harassment at work. So I can't, I can't claim to bring an experience to this. I can't point to a time when I was sexually harassed. And I, I, I don't say that you know, glibly or with a with a sort of implied smile on my face. It's just a statement of fact. So this is absolutely a conversation where I want to hear your experiences this morning. We've, we've been in this kind of area before... And I was struck that when we were, we had at least a couple of calls from people saying, and I think it's it's important to say that they were towards the sort of older end of the the demographic. And that's important because of what they said, which was, in my day, we didn't worry about these things. It happened all the time. We just got on with it, you know, stiff upper, stiff upper lip and all the rest of it. We just We just ignored it. And that's fine. That's perfectly fine. That's one legitimate response. If you are the victim of sexual harassment, it's up to you how you respond to it. If you just want to ignore it and and dismiss it as a piece of silliness, that's absolutely your choice. But equally, if you are sexually harassed, you absolutely have the right to stop it happening. You absolutely have the right to be aggrieved. You absolutely have the right to go to HR or to go to some authority and say, up with this, I will not put, this is something that should not be happening to me. And I don't just mean not something that should be happening to me in 2020. I mean ever I don't think anyone should have to put up with this. There certainly should not be, a, as far as I can see, a power structure that permits such, such sexual harassment of any gender, by any gender, at any time, in any workplace. 0345 6060973. You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email Darren at lbc.co.uk. Has this happened to you? I should also say it's one of these conversations. All the conversations on LBC, if you want, are ones where you can change your name, hide your name, change your location. You can contact me on any of those bases. But if if this is uh, something that you do have experience of, maybe you are thinking back to days, decades ago, where this happened much more routinely. And it was a sort of trope in sitcoms, wasn't it? The You know, the... And I can say this with the, with the the distance of time as a kind of shield, so you know that I'm not condoning such a thing when I use the phrase busty secretaries. That was a trope, wasn't it? From the sort of Benny Hill era. Or even, even I guess, Kenny Everett. It was, it was thought of that those in secretarial positions, particularly in work, were female and of a certain shape. And this was the basis not just for humour, but presumably for, for sexual harassment as well. Except, I suspect, people in those days, in many cases, didn't recognise it as sexual harassment. It was just thought wrongly, in my view, to be something that they did have to put up with, or just part of the job, or just something to be ignored. Again, you can respond to it in any way you want if you're the victim of this. You don't have to behave, as some people would see it, like a victim if you don't want to. You don't have to be aggrieved. You don't have to be unhappy about it. Equally you comp- you totally have the right to do that as well. And I think that's that's the point here. The victim of sexual harassment absolutely has the right to respond to that any way they want. And and one response is not more valid than the other. And equally if you are a if you are someone who looks back on this and says it's just something that happened in those days, that is not a reason to compel other victims. To think the same way. Just because someone else who has been a victim of sexual harassment doesn't take that view and says, no, this is not acceptable, this is not appropriate. Their view is not more or less valid than yours, I think. 0345 6060 The TUC, at the start of the annual Heart Unions Week, the theme this year centres on ending sexual harassment, as, uh, sexual harassment at work. And previous TUC research finding that more than half of women nearly two-thirds of women aged 18 to 24 have experienced sexual harassment at work Which was described as alarmingly high now. This is absolutely Not just about the sexual harassment that is perpetrated by men on women because there's any combination of genders in which this circumstance may be possible the organisation, the TUC, saying the law on sexual harassment must be changed urgently to stop this happening again. Frances O'Grady is the General Secretary. She says the Me Too movement has helped people speak more openly about sexual harassment, but talking about the problem isn't going to fix it. The government must stop dragging its feet and change the law. We're calling on everyone who wants to stop sexual harassment to join us this week. Now, the TUC say there is no legal requirement For employers to prevent sexual harassment happening in their workplaces, instead, it's up to the victim to report it after it has happened. So, if you um, if you think of your workplace, you can probably see a a, a laminate. In fact, I can see one from where I'm sitting right now. You can see a laminated thing stuck up in the wall, detailing various health and safety. requirements or observations or procedures it might be the name of the you know the first aid officer on your floor or it might be the place to go if if someone cuts themselves and where the bandages i mean wherever it happens to be And, and and these aren't done out of the goodness of employers hearts these are in place because they are legally required to be In place, the TUC's point is that there's no legal requirement for employers to prevent sexual harassment happening in their workplaces. If it does happen, of course, victims can report it and should report it after it happens. But there's nothing that compels employers to stop it happening. Now, the other thing I'm you know, the thing that I'm not this morning is a victim of sexual harassment. The other thing that I'm not is an employer. So I don't know how an employer would necessarily go about having a policy in place, but it can't be beyond the, the wit of man or woman, no pun intended, to have structures in place in a workplace that prevent this from happening. A policy, for a start, would be a good idea. Guidelines. And, and you do think, well, here we are in 2020. Is it necessary for such policies and such guidelines to be to be in place? The evidence of the TUC is that the answer to that is yes. 0345 you can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email darren at lbc.co.uk. Is it something that has ever happened to you? Have you been sexually harassed at work? Is it perhaps something that you now look back on, you reflect upon and say, you know what, this was sexual harassment, this was something which was unacceptable, this was an abuse of power. Because I think that's valid as well. It's perfectly valid to have concluded maybe 20 years ago that the experience you went through was just part of the job and just something that you had to put up with because that's what happened then. Perfectly valid for you now in 2020 to go, hang on a minute, no, it wasn't. It wasn't something that we should have had to put up with. It was wrong then and it's wrong now and all that's really changed is that we're more able to recognise it as something that is wrong now. Is this something that has happened to you? Have you been sexually harassed in the workplace? And was your workplace... Essentially, good about it. Were you able to go to your boss, assuming of course it wasn't your boss that was perpetrating this harassment in the first place? Were you able to go to your boss? Were you able to go um to uh, to human resources, I guess, make a complaint, and did you feel that it was taken seriously? All of that yours on o three four five six zero six zero nine seven three. It's lBC. I'm Darren Adam, and it's thirteen minutes past three. This is LBC.
10: At the Cooperative Bank, we're driven by something different. Because we've always believed that doing good and doing good business should go together. Which is why we've had a customer led ethical policy for over 25 years. Putting your values at the heart of what we do and campaigning for what you think is right. Ethical then, ethical now. We're the original ethical bank, the Cooperative Bank for
2: people with purpose. Join us. We live in an age where you can stream any box set instantly. But staying on top of our pensions is anything but instant. B can transfer most old pensions together into one simple online plan. So you can manage your pension on your smartphone as simply as streaming that box set. Download the app or visit pensionb.com today.
7: Authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Capital at risk. At TDC implant centres.
6: We can give you full mouth dental implants in just one day.
4: I could feel my teeth were loosening. They didn't feel as secure.
6: We gave Tony dental implants and natural looking fixed teeth.
4: I walked in at 9.30 with problems and I walked out at 5.30 with a full set of teeth. Around three months later we exchanged his fixed teeth for his final permanent set. What drew me to this was the fact that it could be done in a day. To discover that that was possible was a revelation.
6: Book your free consultation. Visit smileinaday.co.uk or call TDC See Harley Street on 0203 7334 986.
0: TBC. Darren Adam on LBC. Fourteen minutes past three. The TUC say that in 2020 their campaigning theme this year is to stand against sexual harassment at work. They say take action on sexual harassment and use Heart Unions Week to encourage non-members to get involved. They say one in two women have been sexually harassed at work. Two in three LGBT plus workers experience sexual harassment in the workplace. Now, here's what I can tell you about that. Being G, myself, in that seemingly ever-expanding acronym, um. I haven't. I haven't. I think it's maybe just radio. Radio is one of those weird professions where... No one cares about your sexual orientation it's it 's not seen as a plus it 's not seen as a minus, which is absolutely the way it should be I mean, just to, a sort of sidebar to this, I remember on Friday morning, just after i 'd finished when I was driving up to Edinburgh, the news the news broke about philip schofield, and i just i, I just don 't don't really care to be honest um, i think it 's obviously sad for his wife it 's kind of sad that it 's taken him so long to to realize. That about himself, I wish him well. Obviously, I think everybody does. But then I saw Will... I can't remember his second name, the singer. Leave right now. Um, what? Young. Will Young, thank you. <laughs> Where did that go? Will Young popped up doing an interview, saying that this is a day of celebration for the, for the LGBT community. What? I missed that memo. I can tell you that, but that my weekend was entirely bunting free about the revelations concerning Phillips Schofield, Neither condemnatory nor celebratory. So I, I think that's where we are in radio. People just don't care, which is precisely as it should be. It is not of consequence whatsoever. So I, and here's the other thing I would say, if there ever were to be any harassment of anyone on the basis of sexual orientation, I don't think that would fly here for terribly long. I, I I, just I can't imagine it in this workplace or, or really in this industry. And anyone who did indulge in such bigotry uh, would be, apart from anything else, they would look incredibly foolish incredibly quickly. So I, I, I certainly don't want to dispute these numbers that two in three LGBT plus workers experience sexual harassment in the workplace. I'm got to talk about sexual harassment rather than outright bigotry, but of, of any kind. Um, Not something that I can say that I've seen, but something that I can absolutely say would be dealt with, with, with extreme rapidity. The TUC say in most places it's up to the victims to report sexual harassment, which can be isolating, confusing and traumatic. Four out of five people, they say, don't feel able to report sexual harassment to their employer. Employers need to change their approach. 03456060973. You can text, you can tweet, you can email. Is it something that has happened to you in your workplace? If you want to stay anonymous on this, if you want to change your name, change your location, you can do any of those things. If you want to text or email or tweet instead, that's perfectly fine too. Let me read you this though from um, Ragwin, who has tweeted the following. A lot of women think that just looking at them is sexual harassment. Their claims are often based upon how they feel. Well, two things. Firstly, I don't know Ragwin's gender. And secondly, I don't know how Ragwin knows this. 0345 Respond to that from Ragwin. A lot of women think that just looking at them as sexual harassment, their claims are often based upon how they feel. So the implication of that, well, not the implication, the, the very clearly stated position of Ragwin is that often women make complaints of sexual harassment not because, some, not because of something that has happened but because of the way that they feel about something. Wow! 0345 You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email darren at lbc.co.uk um, More calls on that in just a few moments' time but I do want to quickly, just briefly turn away from this to, uh, to bring us back to Storm Kira uh, from yesterday. Inevitably, when winds get up to the best part of 100 miles an hour, stuff that goes in the sky is going to be compromised. Planes. Many flights cancelled yesterday. Paul Charles, aviation analyst from the PC Agency, joins me on the line now. Paul, thanks for your time. So when we see storm conditions like yesterday's, maybe not entirely surprising that aviation is badly affected.
8: Yes. Uh, Inevitably, when you have wind speeds certainly up to 90, 95 miles per hour, which we saw yesterday in some parts of the UK, the airlines are going to be affected. So the best thing, the right thing and most responsible thing for them to do is to pre-warn passengers as much as possible that there are going to be problems, that they have the flexibility to rebook onto other flights um, and simply apologise as much as possible. Clearly, it's out of the airline's control when there's such bad weather. So the right thing to do is to say to passengers, I'm sorry, we're going to be cancelling many flights simply because we won't be able to operate them in such high winds. And you
0: wouldn't want to be a passenger on many of those flights either. Well, Sometimes when you just want to get somewhere, you think, I'll take my chances, it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure they know what they're doing. <laughs> but um, I was supposed to... It was to... very bumpy for some people. Well, yes, and we, we can maybe talk about that astonishing video of the, the, the flight that, that tried to land at Heathrow and had to take mm-hmm. off again. It was sort of blown back into the air. But I I was due to be on a flight yesterday. And I, on Wednesday, I think, I thought, you know what, it's going to get to... Saturday or Sunday, the airlines are going to be saying, no, it's fine, it's fine, we're definitely flying, and then at the last minute I'm going to be stranded. So I moved the flights to a different date sometime in April and drove instead. Why do airlines seem to leave it to the last minute to to make that inevitable choice, or what seems like an inevitable choice, to cancel the flight?
8: Well I guess the issue is that the weather can change very quickly as we've seen on many occasions where you think it's going to be windy, you think there's going to be torrential rain that will affect flights and then the storm passes over in a different direction and the flight could have taken off after all. So as a passenger you do take that risk um, and certainly at this time of year when winter brings many more storms. I think for an airline, though, that they want to operate as much as possible. They want to try and operate their usual timetable. And so it is a matter of last resort. But at least this time, and I think the airlines are getting better at it in most cases, at least this time they laid out very clear rebooking options. Um, In British Airways case, for example, they said if you're flying uh, yesterday or today, Monday then you could actually rebook onto flights later in the week. So they were giving options at least. And in the past, that didn't used to happen. So airlines are getting better at it. Um, The train services as well are playing catch up a little, uh, the train companies, but they're also offering rebooking options. And it's not just the UK. You'll find this is the same in France. It's the same in other parts of Europe Um, and in, in quite a lot of France yesterday their high-speed trains were affected by the winds when you have winds of this scale up to as i say nearly 100 miles per hour it is going to cause problems and sadly as passengers we face the brunt of that.
0: We know that thanks to the EU 261 regulation I think it is or EC 261, more than three hours delay you get compensation in many circumstances but not if the circumstances are considered beyond the control of the airline. Is weather always considered exceptional? In other words something for which you would not expect this additional compensation?
8: Well in, in this particular case it's because the airlines actually get Pre warning before the flight, before the the, uh, flight was due to take off. So it wasn't as if people weren't aware. Many of the airlines actually started warning passengers on Friday and on Saturday morning. So they were making people aware that there were going to be delays and cancellations well in advance. And when an airline does that, that is obviously outside of those regulations, meaning they don't have to pay compensation. They were offering you the opportunity to rebook. Of course, for some people, though, if they had hire car bookings that they prepaid for or hotel rooms they prepaid for, then there's a chance, um, especially if they didn't pay by their credit card, or debit card in some cases, that they wouldn't get the money back. And that's where it's a little sticky, where the rules mm. are sticky, because uh, you, could be, you could be considerably out of pocket as a
0: result. Well, I have to say, the airline with which I was planning to fly yesterday, which is not the airline with which I usually fly, but for various reasons, I was flying with this particular airline yesterday, or planning to be, and right up until yesterday morning, right up until Sunday morning, they were still saying on their app, we plan to run a a full service. So there, there was a warning that it was going to be windy, but there was also a clear statement that the expectation and hope was that they would run a full service. So what sort of notice would you expect and hope airlines would give customers?
8: Well, as much as possible. I mean, certainly 24 hours um, in in this particular case when the weather was known, it was coming in. So uh, we did know certainly 24 hours before it was going to be this bad. So an airline does have a responsibility to do that. I think in some cases they would probably have thought, well, there's a chance based on the weather forecast the storm would not pass over a particular area and we might be able to fly. Um, And as you say, we did see certainly long-haul aircraft taking off. Those planes are bigger. They're uh, obviously safer in these sorts of conditions, and that's why they were operating. But I would not have wanted to be on a small plane carrying 50 to 100 people um, in these weather conditions. It's very, very rough indeed. We
0: touched on that plane which was filmed trying to land at Heathrow. I don't know where it was going or where it had come from, but it it made contact with the ground. It was on the ground. It was on the runway for about two or three seconds and then had to take off again. So that must be, at the very least, frustrating for passengers and crew to make contact with the earth again, only to have to take off because it's so windy. Yeah.
8: Yeah, for many passengers, it would have been very scary because um, you don't know what's going on. And, of course, the pilot's key responsibility is to navigate and aviate, to fly the plane before communicating with the passengers. Yes, The priority of the pilot uh, would have been to obviously make sure that plane was safely either on the ground or going back into the sky to come back round again to land again safely later on, which it did. Um, So as a passenger, you can be waiting five, ten minutes before the pilot communicates with you, telling you what has happened. And if you're a nervous flyer, that can be a very difficult experience indeed. But luckily and safely, that plane did land. I mean, the the flip side of that is, of course, the aircraft, the British Airways plane that flew from New York um, that landed yesterday, which did it in record time of under five hours from New York to Heathrow, which is extraordinary. And it did that because the winds, the tailwinds were so strong in the jet stream that it was able to do a journey that would normally take about six and a half hours in four hours, 55 minutes, which is extraordinary. Um, And the, the passengers on that plane Probably had the smoothest flight
0: of all. Yes, and would have felt they got nearly Concorde speeds for for them
8: Concorde style of service
0: as well. Yes, for for subsonic prices. It's not as simple, is it, Paul? As simply looking at the the wind speed and saying if if the winds are above a certain number, that means a flight cannot operate or take off or land because the wind direction is important too, isn't it?
8: It is. And obviously, it also depends. It does depend on the size of the aircraft that's flying, uh, the distance it's going, the jet stream it may or may not be in, the conditions around the airport it's taking off from and and landing at. Obviously, uh, as a pilot, you will go through an enormous number of checks as to whether it's safe to fly. Um, But aircraft fly, I mean, in that particular case, that aircraft that did the record time yesterday. Um, I think reach speeds of 880 miles per hour, Gosh. which is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but normally um, at that sort of uh, 35,000 altitude feet altitude, you'll be hitting speeds of 500 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. So it just tells you the difference between the two and what aircraft are capable of. If they're in the air, and there's a wind behind you, you can go at any speed.
0: And it's also worth saying, isn't it, if you are a nervous flyer, and I have to say I'm, I'm pretty much the opposite of that, I'm relaxed about flying to the point of being horizontal, but anyway, if you are a nervous <laughs> flyer, planes are designed to cope with wind, they're used to it, it's part of their design structure, isn't it?
8: Absolutely, I mean, manufacturers such as Airbus and Boeing obviously put aircraft through their paces substantially before they're allowed in the air, they flex the wings they see how far the wings can flex and in some cases that could be six to eight feet easily um that the wings could stretch upwards or or downwards um and often when you're in an aircraft and it gets a little bit turbulent you can look out the window and you'll see the the wings moving up and down a little but they are designed to stretch some distance and those aircraft are stronger than you think especially modern aircraft built in the last 15 20 years they are Very, very well built. They're designed for tough conditions. And uh, flying is still one of the safest forms of transport. It really is. And it's got safer over the years, despite tragic accidents and incidents, such as the the 737 MAX crashes last year and the year before. But um, overall, flying is, is very safe. And despite the turbulence you may feel, the aircraft are designed for that, mm-hmm. and the pilots flying them are designed to fly through those conditions.
0: And just a very quick word, because we are pushed for time, as we head into this week, I guess one of the knock-on effects from yesterday may be that some planes are in the wrong place, and that will mm-hmm. perhaps disrupt the flying schedule, even if the weather doesn't.
8: Yes, there will be um, aircraft out of place, there will still be some cancellations today, um, and those windy conditions are continuing. The forecast is, is not for such strong winds. They're certainly um, much calmer than they were. But it's likely to be a pretty windy week with, with uh, gusts of up to 30, 40 uh, miles per hour. So that's still pretty strong, but aircraft are designed for those conditions. Of course, the airports may impose certain limitations, uh, separation, allowing a greater space between aircraft when they're taking off and landing, and that's why there may be further delays and cancellations during the week. So it will be tricky this week, but uh, spring is coming.
0: Paul, thank you. It is Paul Charles, aviation analyst from the PC Agency, joining me this, num- this uh, morning. My number is 0345 As the TUC uh, campaigning this week to end sexual harassment at work. Here is, I think, a legitimate question. How would you define sexual harassment because I suspect everyone has a different threshold everyone might have a different uh, vision of, of, of what that definition is so what's yours oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is it a comment if you were if you had a compliment or if you had a comment that was maybe apparently intended as a compliment, could that cross the threshold? Could that cross the barrier for you? Would that be inappropriate? I think in I think in every case, it's up to the person receiving that comment. It's up to the person who is on the other end of that to determine whether the comment or the action has been appropriate or otherwise. 0345 You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email darren at lbc.co.uk because I absolutely think people should be allowed to do whatever they want to do. Ultimately, as long as consent is is equal, as long as both parties are, are, are consenting to whatever arrangement has been made. That's why I'm actually uncomfortable about, I think it was McDonald's, wasn't it, where um, a very high uh, figure in McDonald's management was fired for being in a relationship with someone much sort of lower down, so to speak, in the company. And that made me uncomfortable, because, I mean, you can, you can talk about power imbalances and all the rest of it, but ultimately, as far as I could see, it was two consenting adults who were consenting to having that relationship, and it didn't really sit I understand why it happened, but it didn't sit entirely correctly with me that one or both of those people are to lose their job as a consequence of essentially falling in love. Oh, 345-6060-973. You can text 84850, tweet at LBC, email darren at lbc.co.uk. What constitutes sexual harassment? The TUC, T-U-C say they want to end it, but what would be your definition? of sexual harassment.
7: LBC News time at 3.32. Let's get the headlines from Andy Ivey. People in parts of West Yorkshire are cleaning up after flooding caused by Storm Kira. It brought winds gusting to over 90 miles an hour, leading to cancellations on rail services and at airports, with further disruption likely this morning. Public Health England is contacting passengers who were on the same flight from Switzerland as one of the four people in Britain who've now been confirmed as having the coronavirus. He took the flight to Gatwick at the end of last month. The illness has now Claimed more than nine hundred lives, nearly all of them in China. At the Oscars, Laura Dern and Brad Pitt have won for Best Supporting Actress and Actor, respectively. The World War One epic 1917 has won two Academy Awards so far for visual effects and cinematography. LBC weather turning colder with wintry showers in the north, scattered showers in the south. A low of one Celsius later becoming very windy again with sunny intervals and scattered showers, which could be wintry over hills. A high of ten degrees.
4: LBC. The Global Awards with Very.co.uk,
0: LBC. They are getting closer. The Global Awards take place on Thursday, March the 5th, but much sooner than that, you've got just four days to decide who will be winning at those Global Awards for 2020 with Very.co.uk. Open Global Player, and if you do that, you can find out who's on the shortlist... You can cast your vote to decide who will be taking home a trophy on the night, and on that night, which will be a huge one, Stereophonics, Russell Watson, Aled Jones, all performing. And the date to remember: Thursday, March the fifth.
4: The Global Awards with
0: Very.co.uk. <laughs>
4: I still vividly remember the fateful day 24 years ago when I logged on for the first time.
2: Journalist Rob Walk discusses a memorable first.
4: Did the internet change my life? Well, obviously yes. The first life improvement it provided was that I could find video game cheats and tips without having to phone some 99p a minute hotline.
2: Read the full article at theguardian.com slash Renault and discover the joy of firsts yourself with the new Renault Zoe. The ideal first electric car. You know it'll happen. That dodgy boiler will finally pack up, and it'll do it on the coldest day of the year. So the moment you decide you can't put it off any longer, get a quote from British Gas. You can spread the cost of a new boiler interest-free over two years, and get 200 pounds off when you get a quote by the 29th of February, or 400 pounds off for existing home care customers. British Gas, here to solve. Search British Gas new boiler, conditions apply. It's time, time to spoil yourself rotten. And that's something that a Saga Boutique cruise is rather good at. Boutique is your own VIP door-to-door chauffeur. It's indulging in fine speciality dining in one of our intimate restaurants and letting your hair down in cozy venues like The Club by Jules Holland. Boutique is overnight stay so you can spend more quality time ashore boutique is all this and gratuities included in the cruise price so go on spoil yourself there's no reason not to to save up to 35 percent on our all-inclusive cruises search saga boutique cruises over
7: 50s only
0: darren adam on lbc so this morning, the TUC say that cases of sexual harassment remain alarmingly high, even though people are more open about the issue. This report says that uh, most people think the Me Too movement has allowed them to be more open about sexual harassment, especially among women and young people. And the TUC calling on the government to introduce a legal duty on employers to actively prevent sexual harassment at work. 0345 973. You can text 84850. Tweet at lbc email darren at lbc.co.uk i wonder what that mechanism might be while while absolutely agreeing that there should be one i just wonder what it would look like i don't work in human resources so i'm, I'm not going to sit here and design one on the spur of the moment but there must be a way of making it at the very least easier for workplaces to be uh to be rid of this um, is it a cultural thing is it about just, you know, in, in the, the way that workplaces have a culture, sometimes it's organic, sometimes it's prescriptive, whatever it happens to be, is there a way of changing workplace culture so that your workplace or any particular place of work is just not the sort of place where this happens Putting this in quotation marks. And that's part of the conversation as well. What do we mean by this? What do we mean by sexual harassment? Is it something you've experienced and what is the threshold as far as you're concerned? O three four five-six zero six oh nine seven three. You can text eight four eight five O Tweet at LBC. Email Darren at LBC.co.uk. We shall come back to this in just a moment. But first, The Oscars are on for 2020. Winners right, left and centre. Charlie Gerling is LBC's entertainment editor and she has a note of all of them. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Hello. How's the party?
3: Uh, Well, we're having a lovely time here at Soho House. They've just brought out Bloody Mary's for everybody, so we're enjoying ourselves greatly.
0: I can imagine. And not so much that you're unable to uh, give us the excellent news for a variety of winners
3: quite right Uh, well we're just kind of getting to the interesting point now Um, they're literally there's probably about five or six awards left that they would leave the the good ones till last so um but i think probably the main point of the evening so far we've had rebel wilson and james corden dress up in their cat costumes as you may (laughs) remember They, uh, they recently appeared in the um not at all lauded um much maligned cat version yes. and they actually came back out in their Cats costumes to present the award for visual effects um, <laughs> basically saying you know we understand the importance of good visual effects and this is why right. we're presenting the awards so that was brilliant. Do we um, um, just
0: before do we deduce from that Charlie that Cats itself is unlikely to uh, to prosper <laughs>
3: tonight? Sadly overlooked by the Academy <laughs> this year I <laughs> think poor Tom Hooper I'm not sure his career will ever recover. Um, we've also had Eminem appear which was quite strange there's been a variety of memes doing around already with various people in the audience's reactions to M mm. coming on stage, performing Lose Yourself, which is a song that he actually won the Oscar for back in two thousand three. Yeah. So in two thousand three he actually didn't turn up to the awards ceremony. He was convinced he wouldn't win. Apparently he sat at home watched cartoons with his daughter instead. So tonight, the Academy said, never mind, come and perform tonight instead. And he um, sent a lovely tweet, actually, saying, yeah. you know, this is a lovely opportunity for me to have come and, you know, righted that wrong of 18 years ago. Yeah. So um, that was a fantastic the, letter, most, the, most horrifying,
0: the most horrifying M&M fact, Charlie, is that I am younger than m <laughs> and
3: I discovered this and didn't believe it. I would not in any way wish to sound surprised by that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that is, yeah, I, I, I'm slightly surprised
0: by that. Yeah, I'm Good surprised green. too.
3: Anyway, Gosh, go on. Yeah, he's had a decent career, in mean, and it's been, it's been a while now. I yes. didn't realise, goodness, because it was, yeah, it was 2003 that mm. he won last time. But, and that was for uh, um, Nine
0: Mile, I think, wasn't it? Was, was Lose Yourself from Nine Mile?
3: 8 mile 8 yes. mile 8 similar <laughs> <laughs> the original i always go
0: the extra mile you know that don't you <laughs> no
3: exactly right. 9 mile was the, uh, yes, the sequel much quieter
0: okay. um
3: yeah, so what else have we seen tonight? I mean, no big surprises. Uh, the darling of the awards season this year, Brad Pitt, Hollywood's hmm. Golden Boy, unsurprisingly won Best Supporting Actor. Um, his speech wasn't quite as funny as it has been because obviously he won the BAFTA, he won the Golden Globe. He literally had the audience... I was at the BAFTAs this time last week... And he had the audience in fits of laughter. He did a brilliant um, speech in absentia because he couldn't make it over to London at the last minute. Margot Robbie delivered it, but it jokes about Megxit and um, all sorts of other things. It uh, wasn't quite as funny this time. He, he just sort of got some pointed um, jokes about the Democratic um, race in there and the Iowa caucus. And it was a lot more serious, but obviously very heartfelt. He's never won an award before. He actually, I think tonight, he accepted his Oscar seven-minute walk away from his first-ever location of his first-ever job in Hollywood, which was really? apparently he was dressed up as a giant chicken trying to encourage <laughs> customers to come into a shop in Hollywood. So um, quite a sort of circular moment for him, I think. Um, I can imagine Laura so. Dern yep. one Best Supporting Actress, again, not surprising. She was watched by her mother in the audience, who obviously is an actress as well. Um, and then I think we're just getting to the point now where we're seeing sort of Parasite Parasite, uh, Parasite winning for... Um, best foreign language film yeah. which actually this year for the first time has been called best international film um and we're still debating whether or not that might just pip 1917 at the post to the best film award but we're not going to find that out probably right. for so, another 45
0: minutes so it could win in for want of a better phrase in its own right not just the best exactly. international film but the best film overall
3: yes exactly and it would be interesting if it i mean everyone talked about roma um, you might remember yeah. last yeah, yeah. year was that was the big film that everyone said oh is that going to be that obviously one best foreign language film and people said you know that could compete in its own right in the best film category didn't quite make it in the end um green book did but it'd be interesting to see if Par- it feels like parasite does yeah. have a lot more momentum going into the last kind of stretch of the uh, of the oscar race but then in 1917 has been lauded with a lot of sort of runner-up prizes so to speak and it, you know just that Roger Deakins just won for cinematography okay. and that tends to be quite a good um pointer as to the film that's going to get best film so I still think it's probably going to be 1917 tonight
0: mm. well Parasite is getting rave reviews as well as racking up awards and nominations and uh, can you sort of pray see it for us in 15 seconds because it feels to me as if it's one of those films which is critically being uh, acclaimed but not really yes. it's not really been seen by very many people at this point
3: It's wonderful, and I would urge everyone to go and see it. It's about a family, a very poor family, who end up managing to inveigle their way into the lives of a very rich family. It's all set in Korea, um, and they end up working for them as as a chauffeur and as a maid and as a nanny and as a tutor, and it's sort of how they end up taking over this family's life. And I won't say anything else because it'll spoil it, but it's wonderful, and I would strongly urge you to see it if you haven't already.
0: I think that was exactly 30 seconds. So plainly, the the (laughs) Bloody Mary, are doing uh, no damage at all to your timekeeping skills. That's an thank excellent thing, Thank you very thing. much. Charlie, I'm delighted
3: to hear that.
13: <laughs> thank you very much
0: indeed. Charlie Curling, LBC's entertainment editor at Soho House, watching uh, the Oscars as they move towards the, um, well, I think it's fair to say some of those bigger awards, the ones that everyone is watching out for. Uh, more news on that over the course of the rest of the morning and today here on LBC. Right, let's return to our conversation about actually, uh, you know, the, the, the film industry not... Not a stranger to the concept of hashtag MeToo, of course. Um, the campaigning theme for heart unions this week is for the TUC to stand against sexual harassment at work. They say take action on sexual harassment and use this week to encourage non-members to get involved. Cases, they say, of sexual harassment remain alarmingly high, even though more people are now more open about the issue. 0345 is my number. What is your definition of sexual harassment? What is the threshold as far as you're concerned? I'll speak to Ben, who's in Clacton in just a few moments, but here's a text that says, in response to what I was saying earlier on, so it's safe to work in radio. Really? What utter rubbish you're talking. I'm sure it's just the same as any other workplace. I'm sure there's someone in every workplace that hasn't been sexually harassed. Well, I may well be talking utter rubbish. It wouldn't be the, the first time that someone had correctly accused me of that. But just to clarify... And maybe I I wasn't clear about this, but I was saying that radio is not an industry in which homophobia, in my experience, is generally experienced. As for for sexual harassment, I was only bringing my own experience of that to the table, which is that I've not been sexually harassed. So perhaps the two things got conflated, which is my fault, not yours. Um, It does not feel to me like a very homophobic industry, and it is not one in which I have been sexually harassed. So uh, none of that in conflict with your assessment that I'm Talking rubbish, but hopefully it puts it in some kind of context. It's LBC. I'm Darren Adam. It's 16 minutes to four.
4: Nick Ferrari at breakfast, weekday mornings from seven. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps joins me now. No conversation with you currently, Mr. Shapps is complete without mentioning, of course, HS and two. When might we have that decision?
1: This month. It's a massive decision, and we absolutely have to get this decision right. There's some for and against. That's true throughout the country.
4: Nick Ferrari at breakfast.
10: With zero, get your business digital ready with
2: zero accounting software. LBC. You know it'll happen that dodgy boiler will finally pack up and it'll do it on the coldest day of the year so the moment you decide you can't put it off any longer get a quote from british gas you can spread the cost of a new boiler interest-free over two years and get 200 pounds off when you get a quote by the 29th of february or 400 pounds off for existing home care customers british gas here to solve search british gas new boiler conditions apply Roses are red
10: and so's a fine wine. But how about a luxury collection candle for just $3.99? Or a Prosecco and Chocolate Gift Pack for the one who makes your heart fizz. Just $4.99. And deluxe heart-shaped macaroons, only $2.99. Mmm, Valentine's Day. Now that's big on quality and always little on price. Subject to availability, selected stores excludes NI.
3: Standard. Stagnant. Same old, same old. That's not how you'd describe London. Where, well... Different. London loves bright new ideas, embraces vibrant evolving communities, and isn't afraid of standing out. We deserve an energy company that's as different as we are. One that's fair and affordable for all Londoners. London Power, a different kind of energy company. Use Swell
10: Heating's online tool to find the perfect boiler in under five minutes. Visit Swellheating.com. Rely on us to keep you warm.
4: If you've lost money on a stocks and shares ISA sold by Lloyds or Halifax, you may be due thousands in compensation.
7: Text GOOD to 78900 and Goodwin Barrett will explain your options.
4: This is LBC with Darren Adam. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850.
0: Right, uh, a TUC report states the incident of sexual harassment cases remains alarmingly high despite an increased focus on the issue through the Me Too movement. Uh, here is Tim Boone who says, Made up rubbish, please try harder and ensure you're working out. Well, you might want to address that to the TUC uh, because it's their campaign, it's their data stating that one in two women and two in three LGBT plus workers experience sexual harassment in the workplace. You can find out more on their website, by the way, for you. If you want to see, they working on this, tuc.org.uk. Uh, what is your definition of sexual harassment, though? Because I think that's an important and, and interesting question. Ben's in Claxton, Morning, Ben. Good morning. Good morning.
14: Um, as part of my training in the 80s, um, I uh, done that city and girls course. It was a management course. And um, we were asked to pick a subject. Um, we had to, to get our certificate at the end of it. And I I chose sexual harassment because it was an interesting subject because I was a trade union leader at the time, as well as being a manager. And one of the eye-opening things that happened was I visited a a place where, um, say, 30 to 35-year-old women were actually in the workplace, and a lot of them had been sexually harassed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they decided they were going to empower themselves by training as electricians and plumbers, etc. Mm-hmm. norm, not, was not the norm at that time, yeah. um, uh, to, to have their own independence because of the fact that they had been sexually harassed. But the conclusion of that was that the worst enemies of the women in the workplace were other women. In what way? Well, if if a popular manager, for instance, still to do with power, of course, mm-hmm. that's what it's all about, most yeah, yeah. of it, yeah. um, was accused of sexual harassment, then the woman that actually raised this, um, it, it, after a lot of uh, uh, bribery and corruption to try and get them to drop any uh, charges, mm-hmm. uh, then they, they um, after going through all that barrage of... Uh, of trying to get them to drop it, and at the end, if they did win, mm-hmm. then the other women in the workplace made their life hell um, because of the fact mm-hmm. that they've uh, the they, they caused problems for them, as they might say. And it was a surprising conclusion yes. that this was was actually happening. Nothing has changed. We need a, a, a law. A law is much overdue on this issue because the government haven't helped by putting pressure on the prosecution services mm. um, to drop uh, cases that weren't 100% going to win.
0: Well the li- the legal the change that the, the sure the, the the legal change that the TUC want to see though is that workplaces would be compelled to stop this. Obviously at the moment if somebody is if someone is harassed or abused or worse then they 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 can and should and do report that, but they want to have something preemptively in place that actually reduces the incidence of this. And how how could workplaces do that, do you think?
14: Well, they would have uh, the, the uh, personnel department uh, would be the ones that uh, would have to obey the law as far as investigation of, of sexual harassment was concerned. And they've just done it in Switzerland. Uh, there was a 76% of people in Switzerland voted for mm-hmm. it. And they actually brought in the law in Switzerland that protects women in the workplace and obviously elsewhere. Yeah, Upskirting, and it's, it's... upskirting was a public thing that was happening. yeah. yeah. Um, and that was talked out of being a bill in this country it was some misguided uh, uh, Conservative MP Christopher Chope. Um, you know and, mm. and that's the attitude they have the kerfuffle over someone uh, revealing a shoulder I mean yeah. it's ridiculous oh.
0: This you is know. the, the, the Tracy, really Tracy Br- I mean, I just, I, 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 so I was peripherally aware of this and it wasn't until I realised that no, actually in this country we were genuinely obsessing about the fact that a member of parliament was wearing a dress in which her shoulder was exposed and the country had completely lost its mind. I thought, well, have I, have I woken up in the Republic of Gilead? Uh, ben, thank you. Ben's in Clacton. Um, there's a couple of responses here to, to what we've been saying, which I think are fascinating. I mean, the They're horrible. But but they're, they're fascinating in the horror. Um, Kevin on Twitter. Women are funny creatures. That's how this starts. And then for some reason he's used quotation marks around these, these words. I don't know why. Women are funny creatures. Quote, if you look at them, they accuse you of being a pervert. Quote, if you are not looking at them, they accuse you of being gay. I've got no problem with people being gay, so don't think that of me for my comment. It's not what I'm thinking of you, Kevin, for that, for that comment. So Kevin, who I assume is not a woman, asserts that women as a, as a species, so about three billion people, if you look at them, they accuse you of being a pervert. If you're not looking at them, they accuse you of being gay. Well, I have to ask, which of the two were you accused of, Kevin? And uh, Ivor says if the man is a handsome stud to the women, his comment might be accepted and welcome. And she'll brag to friends, but if she doesn't find him handsome, then she'll cry harassment and run to HR. And again, on the back of that, I'm thinking which category are you in, you know. Um, Lenny, in Aldershot, morning. Morning. Lenny, hello. Hello. Um the first time I've
15: called. Okay. When I was uh, quite young, uh, I went apple scrambling and uh, I got uh, caught by a, a policeman then, and uh, I got a choice of either going to the station or uh, being... Um, checked over by him, Mm -hmm. by the police officer. And yeah, well, it started from there and it went, uh,
0: and it carried on until I was 11. When you Uh, say it carried on, you were were abused by... Yeah. By the police officer.
15: Yeah. He,
0: he, He touched my private parts and everything.
15: And it went on for oh, quite a long time, till I was about 11 and a somewhere okay. around there. And, and now I um, reported it, and uh, nothing really happened. Uh, it, they just passed it off as me making stories up or something like that. And now, um, in the end, a move from one particular area to another, and
0: uh, and when you started work, Lenny, did that did that incident have a have an impact? When I started uh, work,
15: yes, it, it started again, right? Except uh, it was the manager that started it. Uh, the first day, he says to me, he says. Uh, away from the uh, other supervisors who brought me into the area mm-hmm. and uh, said, if I uh, care for my job, I, I would say nothing to anyone about anything. And uh, that went on for about just about nearly nine months. Mm-hmm. Then after that, Uh, I confided in in a a friend and he told me to say stop it, tell him to stop it. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I regret it now because they put that in my references that uh, I was a troublemaker and stuff like that. When was this, Lenny? Pardon? When was this? How long ago? Um, about nineteen seventy-three,
0: seventy-four. Miss. So a long time ago. Yeah. And no, so nothing was done. You were then marked down as a troublemaker. That affected yeah. your references. Yeah. You you never got justice then. You never managed to get this resolved by the sense no. of it. No. No. And. Uh,
15: the point was that uh, uh, when I um, started at work, it was all right for a while, mm-hmm. and then uh, something happened then, mm-hmm. and I, I was sort of threatened by by this supervisor, and mm-hmm. in the end I I attempted to hang myself and uh, the the area manager brought me into the office, and he bellowed at me and shouted at me and and then that followed me around, mm-hmm. and that was in my references, and I couldn't get another position.
0: Were you ever able to to move I past did. that to, to get to get another job? Yeah, I, I um, had uh, to change my name. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I imagine that the worst, the worst part of this is that now, now you would want to perhaps and maybe would feel up to doing something about this, and maybe you would feel that you would actually get somewhere. But with the passage of time, I imagine those people who abused you, those men who abused you, are no longer around. To face justice yeah. would that be right probably yeah lenny. I'm so sorry i I, I see a,
15: a a psychiatrist now mm-hmm. and uh, and
0: uh, a psychologist and do you think that you are finally making? making some kind of progress, that the help you're getting, is it, is it useful, is it helpful? Do you feel that you're beginning to be able to to put this dreadful set of experiences behind you? Yeah, well,
15: not, not quite, but partly, yeah.
0: Lenny, I'm very, very grateful for the call. That was a very brave call indeed. I think a lot of people listening will, um, if they... I mean, if they, if they doubted the seriousness of the topic prior to that call, they, they they certainly don't know. We'll just check that Lenny's okay. We'll speak to him off. Uh, the Samaritans number, by the way, should you ever need it, is 116123. And we cannot state this enough. Two things, really. They're there all the time, firstly. And they're there to listen. They're there not necessarily to give advice. Sometimes if you just need to talk, you just need to say what's on your mind, they are there 24 hours a day, the Samaritans on 116123. It's LBC, Nick Ferrari at breakfast from 7. Right now, Steve Allen. Thank you. Well, I I survived. It was a bit windy yesterday. At one point, my hair moved, and I was
1: slightly disturbed by it because it wasn't on my head at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, is this going to get any worse? Came down this morning, yeah, it's, it's a bit bad. There'll be trees blown down, as indeed the papers bear witness to. But don't worry, there's more on the way. Isn't that exciting? Uh, Anton Deck are teaming up with Paul Hollywood to boost the ratings for Saturday Night Takeaway. They should really get Pip Schofield on. He is currently hot favourite in all the newspapers. See, I told you there's was nothing to worry about. Goodness sake, worst kept secret in the business. Uh, also, we've uh, we've got rid of uh, H and his uh, same sex dancing partner from Dancing on Ice. And I've got a great story about Sainsbury's.
0: This one is a real doozy. All after the news, which is next.